this season on More and More Every Day. Let's do something together every day to be better oral historians. I don't know about you, but I love a daily task, whether it's a writing prompt to get me focused or a quick icebreaker to start class discussion. I love short, easy challenges. That's why this season's 10-minute or so episodes will feature experts, like-minded colleagues, resources, and things I'm learning along the way. But each episode will also end with a prompt, something you and I can do that day to improve our skills as oral historians. I'm your host, Summer Sherland. Let's do this. In the last challenge, I asked you to write a philosophy statement on shared authority in oral history. Additionally, I encouraged you to come up with some guidelines or a plan for how you're going to actually make good on that philosophy in your own work. So today, let's talk about what some legal experts might have to say. Historians began grappling with this topic of oral history in the law as early as 1967, and a fairly entertaining piece followed in a 1976 article penned by Truman Eustis called Get It in Writing. Eustis predicts that the rules governing oral history were going to be ever-changing with regard to copyright, privacy, and libel. His advice pertaining to these three concerns are, one, have the toughest, meanest trial lawyer you can afford, and more realistically, to get it in writing. You might be thinking your work won't make waves. You're not intending to uncover major state secrets. You have great relationships with your narrators. What does this all have to do with you? Well, I refer to Eustace's argument on libel. He writes, quote, why do we worry about libel in oral history? There aren't a great many copies, and one might assume that limited distribution means limited publication and should therefore mean limited damages. But on the other hand, these statements are permanent. He goes on to say it's on tape, microfilm or hard copy, or today, digital. Thus, the statements your narrator makes in an interview, they have the freedom of speech, right? But they are nonetheless preserved for public consumption in perpetuity. So how do we protect them and ourselves in the eyes of the law? For a more recent approach, John A. Neuenschwander's book, A Guide to Oral History and the Law from Oxford Press, can be of great insight to oral historians at every level. Have you given any thought to questions like, what if you are subpoenaed for your interview files because your narrator might have knowledge of a crime, even if he or she never disclosed this to you? Or what if a family member of a narrator feels that the interview has done damage to their family's privacy? Look, this is not my area of expertise. So today's challenge is for both of us. And it's going to include a little bit of work on your end and on mine outside of this podcast. Set a timer. I'm going to go with two hours. So give yourself a block of time. In that time, do a deep dive on all things legal and oral history. Research oral history and the law and start with Neuenschwander's book. Look beyond best practices on consent and future use and instead investigate how oral histories may be contested in the eyes of the law down the road. This whole idea of who owns the history and who's allowed to disseminate it, this may be a central issue. Then begin to consider how to prevent and protect your work from future problems down the road. See you next time. We want to hear from you. Tell us how you did today at SMCC History. Use the hashtag more and more every day on Instagram and Twitter. Our email is historysouthmountain at gmail.com. And I hope you follow us, write a review, or suggest us to a colleague. 
More and More Every Day is brought to you by the South Phoenix Oral History Project at South Mountain Community College in partnership with the Southwest Oral History Association. Music by Noah Gattel.